Our first presenter this afternoon is Brad Johnson from California, Woolly Farms. I have never met Brad before until this conference. We've talked on the phone, but um, Darren Greenfield, one of the board members, knew Brad from out there and recommended him as a speaker. And so we thank Brad and his wife for coming all this way. It's a big sacrifice to come from California. But, um, you know, from, from our point of view, Brad is a big-time farmer. He says he's just a small farmer from a California point of view, and I'm sure that's true. But Brad has been doing it for many years, and I'm anxious to see what he has to say. Brad's daughter is in Clarksville here, so... That, that gave them a little more pull to come back this way because they could see their daughter. Glad she's been able to come to the conference too. And then after Brad, we will go straight into Byron and Janice, and um, they've been introduced already. So I like to look at dirt. When I look at dirt, I start to think about growing stuff. People ask, what we do. My answer as a farmer, we turn sunshine, water, dirt, and the grace of God into something good to eat. As a salesman, we grow produce and sell romance. I will try to give you a taste and a flavor of our farming experience. How can you fully describe it? You can't. There is nothing else like it. It's beauty and the beast. <laughs> In more ways than one. I'm not just talking about Judy and me, but the sat satisfaction and the struggles. To put it lightly, what keeps us sane and insane? I'm picking a few features to share with you, some of our farming roots. After this, I will, if I have some time, I have some more pictures of our farm etc., and answer questions depending on what kind of time we have. So, I'm guessing most here involved in farming or gardening in some fashion, organic, conventional, or a combination of the two. My personal land is in organics, and that is pr my primary emphasis, but I have some involvement in the conventional side as well. I think both have something to offer our economic and learning experience. I'm wondering how many in this room farm for your primary source of living. You know that may be we may be uh, we may be under the national average here. What is it? Two percent? Less than one? And if you're organic, it's real small. And if you're my age, your average age. 58, somewhere in there. So, how many of you garden? Okay, quite a few more. How many of you neither? That's everybody. Everybody does neither? Neither farms nor gardens? Did I ask that wrong? How many of you don't farm or garden? Wow, okay. Well, how many of you know what you're doing? Okay, well my presentation is part information, 
part inspiration, part our journey, a little romance, and part what was that? What's that? Oh, yeah, that too, yeah, for sure. So, but I think it speaks more to the human side of our farm. A point I'd like to make is you can make it in farming, but I wouldn't be where I am now without all the help along the way. <clears throat> from acquiring land, support from family, neighbors and friends, generous with their equipment, land and time, great marketers, research people, and the people who want what we grow. I have this phrase stuck in my head. Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the Creator, individuality, power to think and to do. And this, of course, I'm bending this to the farming side and dirt. A verse says, God placed man in this special garden called the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it beautiful. And another, God arranged a special garden for man to live in, which was located in an area called Eden. This is the place where the first man made his home. In this garden, God not only placed trees for food, but also ornamental trees, most beautiful to look at. So I picture a garden as the origin of my first home and a place of pleasure to work. The depth of a few words can still be probed. Also, rest. We have made a day of rest a priority, taking Saturday as a day of rest. Many, many associated with us wonder at times why. And I as well at times find it difficult to make the discipline. The biology of the work calls, <clears throat> and many needs do not stop. The plants need water, the cows need milking, etc. Though the human side of our farm stops to rest, to look, enjoy, learn without the driving force of business. We love to visit, or not, and enjoy the quietness and beauty of life. Now, one of my main features, and a favorite quote of mine. In the cultivation of the soil, the thoughtful worker will find that treasures little dreamed of are opening up before him. No one can su succeed in agriculture or gardening without attention to the laws involved. There are some good things that have developed for me over the years. This is one of them. When developing orchard crops with a no-till system, I was wondering how to get the trees a better benefit of green manure and soil-applied organic matter. Here is one way that has opened up with few downsides. Night crawlers. You may be thinking, worms. Everyone in organic farming has worms, but these are my worms. <laughs> Look at it this way. In the dog world, my dog is better than your dog. These are not regular earthworms. Many of you know these are huge topside night feeders with very deep holes. I have dug at least two to three feet deep following the holes to see where they went. All the organic matter, compost, manures, leaves, produce, leftovers get eaten, taken down and reduced to worm castings with tremendous soil aeration. This is fun to see. At times I will walk the gardens in the middle and walk the orchards in the middle of the night to watch them. My daughter and I did an experiment to see what their favorite food was. 
The populations are huge. I picked these up in just a very short time walking around my orchard. If you stomp your feet, you can hear them moving back into the ground. They have a large expanded tail, much like a cobra head, which keeps them anchored in the soil as they feed out in a 10 to 16 inch diameter around their hole. As it was said, treasures little dreamed of are opening up. I think this is one of those. And you thought I was growing worms for the soil. Some of my roots. This photo says a lot to me because I know some of the history and it encourages me. It tells me a lot about my grandma and grandpa Swank, my mom's parents. They homesteaded here in the 1920s or so in the northeast corner of Montana and built this over the years. Here is the original home. Right there. Perhaps the original house on the prairie. If you are wondering about building something from nothing, this is, a 30, minute, this is 30 minutes to the nearest town. Mom said, sometimes 50 below in the winter. Horsepower was the mode of the day. Just as a side note, I went up there and read through some of the journals one time. Looked like my grandpa ran 24 hours a day with horses plowing up sod to plant wheat with a crew of, huge crew of men. Horsepower was the mode of the day. No electricity except wind generated. My cousin about my age now farms this. In case you're wondering about some of our spiritual roots, both sides of my family, parents and grandparents, beyond that I'm not sure, but probably, were brethren. I don't know if you're familiar with the brethren. From Holland, from Europe to Holland for religious freedom. Then to Pennsylvania, called the Pennsylvania Dutch, and on from there. My dad was from Idaho, Oregon, but this is where this Montana farm is where he and mom met. They eventually settled in California to farm and raise a family of 10 kids. How's that for a labor force? A spontaneous, a spontaneous tribute to my mom at her memorial was everyone thought they were her favorite. My, grandma, my grandpa and grandma Johnson moved from Oregon to California. They were great and happy folks. Grandpa and my dad had a commercial fertilizer business in Gridley, Gridley, California, that's where I'm from, and sold Shell in 8th Street to local farmers. Now that's how to get 82% nitrogen. How's that for balanced nutrition? This is a 1957 calendar from their business. I still love to look at this calendar. Every month is fascinating. But the future was different for me. So how do you farm organically, or farm at all, and be successful at it? For us, maybe it was just staying at it and thinking, I'll do better next year. Maybe it's like the mouse drowning in that bucket of water Byron spoke of last night. Now I know why. Eating all those dirt pills gave us hope. <laughs> or maybe it's kind of like how to build a fort. First, you have to find a place to make a fort. Then you outline it. After that, you start digging till you get it deep enough. Then you put boards on, and while there's still a little hole in the roof, you make a fireplace. After that, you make a door. Then you get in and seal off the cracks. Then you get out and get a bucket or something and fill it up two, about two inches up with water and put dirt in it. 
After that, you get some old newspapers and put them on the boards and put the mud over it, and it's all finished, I guess. <laughs> so what's the point of this? There's really more to it than that, but you've got to start somewhere. In other words, starting with what you know and have, imperfect or not. How do we really do things? Back when we called our business Johnson's Backyard Produce, now Woolly Farms, and there is some work involved. Here are some pictures passing through some of our nitty-gritty. Putting in alfalfa, working the ground, shredding compost, planting grain, laying up beds. These are for our vegetables. Getting our transplants ready to go out. A few years ago, I was a little younger then. Transplanting them out in the field. Covering them up, uncovering them, picking them, jalapenos, packing them, packing apricots, watermelon, getting ready to ship them, loading them on the trucks, working them in, letting the birds have some. So we did all this work, and we had all this stuff. You may have been in that situation too. What do you do with all of it? This load is going into San Francisco, way overloaded, to one of our first distributors back in the mid-70s. We still do business with, this with them today. That's probably, so those of you, Alan and some of the other young farmers, I was probably early 20s, no kids, not married, had uh, probably 21, 22 right there maybe. Besides all the work, we did fall in love with the beauty. So here's just a run through of some of the stuff, some of our pack and some of our produce. Many yellow watermelon, small watermelon, white eggplant. These are sugar plums, apricots. But one of our favorites is homegrown tomatoes. That's right, nothing else like it. You got it. We have some great people working for us. Those gals have been with me for quite a while. I love that. There have been some great adventures along the way. One is getting married. Judy and I have this fun banter. Her phrase, happy wife, good life. My phrase, good wife, happy life. But Judy asked for this because she wanted to marry a farmer. Little did she know. Truth be told, but Judy asked for this because she wanted to marry a farmer. Little did she know. Truth be told, it takes a brave and wild woman to move to the, from the city and marry a farmer. What kind of wild woman would want to marry a farmer? Sometimes you need someone to hold you tight. We have a lot of fun along the way. One of my brothers, the better brother, and his wife made a fun nine-hole golf course and a driving range on the farm. We are not golfers. In fact, I think I only made it through five holes. But it made a good way to get together with business friends and family, look around the farm in a fun and casual manner. 
Often we would meet in the cool of the evening shade with family to enjoy dinner and have some fun watching each other to hit those things, trying to hit those things. Here you can see a map of the course, one of our individual holes. We call the greens browns. This is a golf cart with, golf cart with a few local urchins. And on occasion, we have hay rides for some of our family and friends when they come to visit. This is a favorite quote of mine. On the left is my one-page original growing practices paper for my markets. I have included this illustration because when we first started organic farming in the mid-70s, that was what we gave our customers to explain our growing practices before certification started. Since then, it has been a growing avalanche of paperwork. Farming looks mighty easy when your plow is a pencil and you're a thousand miles from the cornfield. I'm thinking he was talking to Congress. Hence, Mike's song about carrots, you could say paper seeds if there were such a thing. I have put this in as a mild expression of the expanse of paperwork. Carrot seeds are not the only thing that has grown over the years. Now, here we go. So. Oh, carrots grow from carrot seeds. I'll plant the seed and grow it. I'll water it. I'll pull the weeds. Carrots grow from carrot seeds. So I would be content to let everyone grow their own food, and I grow mine. Or I'll help you grow yours, and we share. As I was working in my garden the other day, I realized a simple goal to grow my own food and share it with friends has really come true. But my thinking has been too small, and my field of friends has grown with my garden to a much broader field around this country. Now, depending on time, I can move to more pictures and explanations or take some questions. All right, so that's not a lot of time. So there is, uh, and otherwise I could move through some pictures rather fast, but um, if you have some pressing questions, I'd be glad to answer some questions. Otherwise, I could run through some pictures, yes. I don't know what, what they are, no. Oh, I mean up in our area? I'm taking you back. Yeah. Chico. Chico. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, that's our stomping grounds, but <laughs> no, no. Unless it's during Pioneer Days. <laughs> yes. How did your farm, how did you name your farm? Well, how did you name your farm? We, we used to, you know, I used to grow produce and call it Johnson's Backyard Produce, but then we, we got out of that for a while, sold off some of our equipment in our, in our, in our houses and stuff, and then we, the couple we sold it to about 10 years later wanted to get out, and so we, got, we bought it back, some of the stuff back from them, and then we took their name at the same time, Woolly Farms. We just kept it, and so we kind of acquired that through the purchase of that, 
aspect of what we would, and we just could jump back into it again. We've been doing since then. So. How many acres? Um, Judy and I farm about 60 acres of organics, and then uh, we farm another 80-some with my brother. And then over the years, we have have leased property. We've kind of cut down the last, probably in the last five, 10 years. So, yes. Saw some heirloom tomatoes. What percentage of heirlooms to hybrid do you have? Um, most of our ground is an heirloom tomatoes um we grow roughly four or five acres of tomatoes i think and and we we probably have three or four of heirloom out of that the rest are roma we don't gr we don't really grow any standard slicing tomatoes just roma and heirlooms yes Everything's got to be, you know, follow the guidelines in the organic rules, you know, either through OMRI or uh, through, you know, the certification process. You know, there's, of course, you know, chemicals, you know, they're, every, you know, it's part of our life, you know, but so there's, there are products now that people have out of natural products that have for, to make it easier in organic farmers or for organic farming. And we used, you know, various extracts, say, like from pigweed or from uh, bacterias for their biological controls, that kind of thing. Somebody else had a question over here? So. Yeah, so we've, we've kind of gone into walnuts. We do more walnuts now too, so I didn't show you that. We had pictures of walnut harvest and, and some of our other equipment operations. You want to make some pictures of equipment, but time-wise, I think we're crowding up to it. I can run through real quick if you want to see just kind of a quick run through. Um, so here's a, a deep ripper, uh, vertical tine cultivator, laying up some beds, covering some, cover, built this thing to pull fabric over our fields. Um, a vi video of our bedder. I put this little fertilizer applicator on there so we can put some compost in. We bury our drip line in this case. We're burying it under the ground. So, and that we're getting ready to plant orchard. We did this just a couple weeks ago. Uh, planted some apricots there. Uh, this is a little video, take too long. There's some trees we just planted. Uh, one of our cultivators, we kind of just homemade to, we can cultivate real close to the plastic with this. We cultivate after every time it rains, so we keep the weeds out. Uh, some simple tools like you've seen already here. This little, um, um, broad fork is made out of some old potato hose, potato forks we we welded together and just these are what I use mainly for my garden this is basically all I really use for that so we use uh, some old vinyl blinds for our markers and to plant our we little vacuum seeder for planting our seeds I don't show that this old side mower um, for mowing down weeds between the trees uh, this tool here is a nice tool a little vertical string weeder if you've seen these it's a vertical weeder rather than horizontal where it doesn't hurt the trunk it's weeds vertically to cut the weeds away from the tree or the sprinklers some of our walnuts these were planted in 2009 real vigorous trees real nice we've already taken three harvests off this since 2009 that's shaking the trees so that's one of the ways we we shake them on the ground then we sweep them up with a sweeper uh, put them in windrows uh, this is a 
the pickup equipment that comes through and uh, sweeps them off the, off the ground, picks them up, puts them in the wagon behind. Then they go into a, a, uh, another shuttle cart, and then it gets dumped in the conveyor belt in the trucks to go to be the hydrator. Um, we've grown these in the past, daikon radish, turnips, some of our products we ship to the market, our sugar plums, prune plums. We grow, my brother and I grow peaches together. This is clean peaches, harvest time. Um, Another heirloom tomato. These these get way too big. Markets don't like them. Uh, some of our pack, we grow some wheat, alfalfa a little bit sometimes. We've been in the past. It's a cucumber pack line, packing cucumbers. So here's we're picking cucumbers. So this is a homemade conveyor belt and wagon. We used to get field. One of my ideas, no, no carts in the field because it just takes too much to do a cart. So we, we built this whole conveyor belt so we could bring them into the and then we pack them, put them in bins. Then we can handle everything on a fork with a forklift. This is our a two-way belt. We pack tomatoes on this, uh, squash, watermelon, any kind of thing goes on this belt. Pick an eggplant for a market. Just a fun. A bat house is one of our pest controls. Um, we go up and get ladybugs on occasion. This is a fun trip. Go up and get ladybugs out of the field, harvest them, bring them back to the farm to put them out in the field. Bring them in ice chests. Um, they, they swarm in the in the in the mountains. Um, fun zone. We have a little fun zone. We bring friends and can just look around the farm, have a little fun. Uh, just some things we for guests that come and, like I said, hay rides and this some of our bad stuff that happens is bad. I don't know if you know what this is. You recognize that spot on there? That's from thrip. If you ever have trouble with thrip. They're, they spread virus and they, and they also do damage to tomatoes. We lost five acres of tomatoes one year to frost, not completely lost, but we lost our, all the growth. Some of the disasters, training new workers, how to drive forklift. They learn how to, <laughs> about momentum and turning corners. Um, uh, geese, we had a lot of geese. I had 100 geese one time, weeder geese. Our neighbor oversprayed one time, killed them. They ate the grass the spray was on. So, you know, we're not immune to disasters in the shop, you know, equipment breakdown and whatnot. My little grandkids planting seed. This is where it all starts right here. This is where I like to be in the garden. And then uh, Judy and I, with her, her passion is horses. And just another picture of our place. So thank you very much. Thank you, Brad. Really appreciate you coming all the way here. And, and um, again, look these people up. We've got a lot of knowledge and experience. And I hope that you all are taking copious notes. You know, little things. He said one little thing. You know, the markets don't like big tomatoes. That's an important tip to learn. And... Uh, Come on up. I'm just going to talk while you're getting set up. So another thing that I hope you are seeing is that farmers can become or they need to become very uh, 
ingenious. You know, he's, he's showing you pictures of all the equipment that they've modified or manufactured. And that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, can, can save your bottom line if you can, can come up with something rather than having to buy a new piece of equipment. So I'll let Janice start talking here, or Byron, or somebody. What do you mean? See, she keeps trying to hide behind me. Put her by the mic so she So we are Sunny Zona Family Farms, but you are only seeing Byron and Janice right now. Sunny Zona Family Farms is really a wonderful group of people who we appreciate helping us grow food for the people that we like to share the food with. And I guess my big encouragement would be to each of you out there, if you're starting a farm or haven't done it yet, to think about really the reason you're doing it is not only for yourself, but to the people that you're going to feed that food to. And that is such a privilege. And from here on, I'm going to let my husband talk. Wait, 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 wait. She always does this to me. Okay, you know, I'd like to just make a comment um, about what she just said. Health evangelism is a really important part of what Seventh-day Adventists stand for. And uh, when I was 17, I went to Weimar College, and I went there in part, large part, because of the health program that they had. So even though I didn't actually work directly with the patients, I was taking agriculture, it was just marvelous and amazing to see these people come who had all kinds of diseases and, and handicaps and limitations, couldn't walk 20 feet without angina. Some of them hadn't slept laying down for years. And uh, I would see them transformed in 21 days or whatever length of time it was. It was really remarkable. What's, what's interesting is that these lifestyle centers, and I love them, lifestyle centers make a big change in the health of a few people. Farming gives you a chance to make an incremental change in the lives of many people. And the interesting thing about that is that by making the food attractive, healthy, and really desirable in so many different ways, the, the, the aroma, the, the freshness, the colors, and all that kind of stuff, you're encouraging people to start transitioning more of that plant food into their life, which is really all they're going to get, really, if they went to a lifestyle center. So you have a chance to actually do two-for-one marketing when you become a farmer, you also become a lifestyle educator. And it's a, it's a really wonderful thing. And by the way, I met Brad. We were both students the first year at Weimar back in 1978. So uh, I guess that dates both of us. But, but uh, years later, I went and toured Brad's farm, and he showed the pictures of the earthworms there. That was the first time that I really got a... I mean, I was astounded by the earthworms there. I've never seen anything like it anywhere else I've ever been. Uh, you see leaves curled up and, and uh, sticking out of the ground all over the place. And I'm like, wait a minute. 
why are these leaves curled up into little scrolls and sticking up out of the ground? Well, the earthworms had come out during the night and grabbed these leaves and wrapped them up and started to pull them down into their hole. And so it was, it was really impressive to see that. It had a beautiful farm. Anyway, this is, this is our family. Now, unfortunately, most of, most of our family is not working on the, on the farm physically, although uh, all of them have chosen to make farming their vocation and are involved in it and are still supporting us, uh, at least emotionally. But we live in southeastern Arizona, 45 miles from Mexico and 45 miles from New Mexico, about as far into the southeast corner as you can get. We moved to Arizona in 1996 and we bought 320 acres of bare farmland. Could have plumbed a level on it. It was just flat. And uh, it's surrounded by mountains, but the land itself is, is flat. And uh, there was nothing on it. And uh, so we built, as you can see in the background there, we built a greenhouse about an acre and a half in size. We began as a conventional hydroponic uh, greenhouse. And um, when you talk about being at the head and not the tail, we started at the tail of the hydroponic movement. And it was not too long before we realized that we needed to start making some transitions. And I never really liked hydroponics. It was a means to an end. And so the fact that that was a waning opportunity gave us a chance to start doing some of the things that we really wanted to do. 2003, we began transitioning to local marketing. We started with uh, selling to restaurants, and um, we tried our stint at farmer's markets, and that's a whole different story. We abandoned that after a couple of years. And then in 2009, due to some real amazing providences. Uh, we became veganic and certified organic, and uh, then we began growing some outdoor crops, and that was an adventure. We sell, uh, a lot of people think of us as tomato growers, and tomatoes are a, um, an important part of our product mix, but they are, are a, a much smaller part of our product mix than, uh, than other things. We grow hothouse cucumbers and green beans and eggplants and peppers and just about everything else in the produce department that isn't fruit. Yes. Um, yes. We can, uh, from my wife's benefit, we'll go back and show you the sweet potatoes there. So, we sell to Whole Foods and other retail stores, upscale restaurants and resorts, and uh, that's a very nice, actually, uh, market to get into. If you do the upscale resorts and you establish good relationships with your customers, then sometimes you get some really nice perks from that. We were uh, celebrating an anniversary here, I think it was two years ago, and we happened to be in Phoenix, and we called Four Seasons Scottsdale, uh, 
And uh, we said, we, we sell to one of the restaurants there at the resort, and we said, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to uh, think about the possibility of eating at your restaurant. Want to know if you had anything vegetarian? And Janice had asked that of the chef. So he said, sure, I'll, I'll custom make a meal special for you. So we came over and, and uh, of course, they did the whole customer service thing with the dude, the valet parking and the, and, and the um, waving the fans over you as you walk in and uh, opening and closing the doors for you. And we get inside and they served us a meal. I'd only want to eat it once in my lifetime. But it was really amazing, you know, an eight-course meal. And uh, a lot of it was stuff from our farm. It was just a fantastic meal. And then when they were all done, they told us that that was their gift to us from, um, it's about a $150 meal, and uh, it was a wonderful little anniversary present. So we've enjoyed that, and then we sell direct to customers via our farm box program, which I'll get to in a little bit. One of the things that, that I think is really important, um, farmers are notorious for liking to do what? Farm. Now what does farming involve? Dirt, work, um, seeds, weeding. And then farmers have a challenge financially because um, there's, a, there's a saying, I like the one that Brad had up there. John Kennedy said, Farmers are the only people in the country who buy at retail, sell at wholesale, and pay the freight both ways. <laughs> so, so it's really, really important that right at the beginning, before you put a single seed in the ground, you have your marketing plan and your business plan in place. And uh, our our business strategy, uh, and some of these things sound like they are really um, obvious, but um, they're not as obvious as you think. Uh, you act out the golden rule. And, you know, when you look at, at um, number three, we provide a no-questions-asked guarantee on both customer service and product quality. If you don't like the way that we delivered the product to you, even if the product was good, we will give you a 100% refund and replace the product without asking any questions. And we had an Italian chef who owned probably the top-rated Italian restaurant in Phoenix. And um, he took advantage of that. He would order stuff from us, and then he would call us up and say, I don't like your product, so he'd give him a refund. So this went on for quite a while, and finally we said, you know what, um, we're not going to change our guarantee, but we will change our customer. Um, but that is that has... Um, yeah, that is, that is 
I was just saying that story to say that sometimes there are people who take advantage of you on that, but that is very rare. And the benefit that it provides to your business is astronomical. And uh, number four, I hope that, see it, it's really, really important to try to maintain a connection with the customer. And um, one of the things that, that, um, uh, that that actually gives you is a lot of evangelism potential, but I'll get to that in a minute. So another thing that seems obvious as well is to eliminate the middleman. The average produce in the United States sells for 20 cents on the dollar farm box. I'm in farm gate value. Now that probably wasn't a good way to say it. In other words, the farmer gets about 20 cents for every dollar that the customer pays for fruits and vegetables. And that works kind of sort of for large-scale factory farms. But they're set up for economy of, or scale of economy. And uh, when you are doing something on a small scale, it's really important to try to get rid of the middleman. And, and one of the things, even though that sounds very obvious, I can't tell you how many people who've been getting into farming tell me. You know, I was talking to Walmart and they said they would buy everything I could produce. Well, they probably could. They might buy a thousand acres of it but I don't have a thousand acres and the tractors and machinery that go along with that. So I can't sell very much to them. I don't want Walmart prices because I don't have Walmart volumes. So don't get sucked into that, hey, I can buy, they'll buy everything that I can grow because the price they want to pay for that, everything you can grow, isn't sustainable if you're doing it on a really small scale. And... Uh, we take advantage of the local, organic, and veganic trend. The um, vegans are one of the largest growing food demographics. And um, take advantage of that. And I already mentioned this before, but uh, be marketing driven. Don't think about your marketing after you start. Think about your marketing up front. And in both the context of being marketing driven and, and um, customer oriented, this particular, this particular um, dinner that we served, we had invited a, um, a group of, of all the produce department uh, leaders, team leaders, and the, some of the other staff from Whole Foods, and they drove out to our farm, and we gave them a vegetarian meal, vegan meal, all with stuff we had grown, and um, gave them a tour of the farm, and so on. And it's really been a very important thing to try to keep them on side. Um, we, we grow microgreens, and uh, if you see the Tiffany have their microgreens there, they're just amazing things. And um, they're, a, they're, a really, they're a really fun thing to grow, although they can be challenging. They're very, they're very um, they're a fun thing. 
We, now this one you can't see very well at all, and I knew that, but um, I didn't have a ready picture um, of a, we grow outside in the, in the field with the tractors and stuff, but we don't do very much of that. Uh, Arizona is the desert. And places are the desert because they don't grow plants very well. Arizona, you might like the sunshine, but it is the most difficult place to grow plants in the continental 48 states. Okay? You think that you have troubles because it's humid or because it's bugs or whatever. The fact is, is that um, I've researched that, and I don't think that... Um, and I've grown in, in multiple places, and it's, it's very, very challenging. It's a hostile environment to plants. So we have, we have favored uh, protected agriculture, and I'm tending to favor that everywhere, not just in Arizona. But I did want to highlight in this picture the fact that we have chosen to grow intensively, and as part of that, we grow in raised beds, and they're box beds. And as you can see there on the, the boards along the edge there, we, we make raised beds out of two by sixes and fill them with our own formulation of media to grow in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just built on the, on the soil. But uh, that way we can custom tailor the soil that our plants grow in to get us what we want as opposed to uh, being stuck with whatever kind of soil that, that might be naturally present. And we have a clay soil that isn't very nice to work with a lot of times. But um, it also gives us a lot more control over the moisture level in the soil. And that can be really important. You, you don't have the same amount of rain. You don't have the same temperatures. And uh, soil itself is not that consistent. And so there can be uh, wet spots, drier spots, and so on. So... We have chosen to do that, and we get um, uh, very, very high productivity by doing that. We also do continuous succession plantings, and being where we are, uh, we can do that year-round, not outside. It's too cold for that outside. We grow in, in uh, greenhouses. Uh, here's another, another picture of, of the greenhouse with uh, yeah, with summer squash there, but we grow in high tunnels. And yes, thank you, that's garlic in the front. Those are actually growing in, in uh, box beds. We get really good results with onions and garlics and everything else. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're working more with low tunnels. That's a separate point, since we don't have time to go over that. This is a picture of inside of one of our high tunnels with a box bed, and that's kale on the center two beds and uh, beets on the outside. The, the, I mentioned earlier that kind of our, our uh, flagship product is the farm box, and it's really a CSA but we highly modified it because we didn't like the fact that CSAs 
basically tell you that you have to pay up front and that you have to buy um, whatever the farmer gives you and things like that. So what we've basically done is created an online store where you can order whatever you want, whenever you want it, with absolutely no commitment. So you can order one box and that's it, or you can order a box once now and a month from now or two months from now, or you can order them once a week for three weeks, whatever, whatever suits you. And this is a sample of, of one of the boxes. And uh, this, is, this is our packing floor. Uh, they're setting up for, the, um, for actually park, packing our farm boxes. And you can see the, the girl standing there holding a piece of paper. She's the team leader for, for our packing. And she's got the people who are going to be doing the packing. Every time they, every time they, they do that, uh, they have a, a little meeting. And she reads to them reports from emails that have been sent about the farm box. Complaints people have had, product quality issues, packing issues, uh, as well as, as some compliments to try to keep the feedback happening for, for getting the... Yeah, she was, she's a, a Mexican girl that I hired when she was 19. The first day at work, she saw me fire somebody, which I don't generally do. My wife does the firing. But uh, she saw me fire somebody, and I wasn't upset about it. I just told the guy I didn't need him anymore. She knew why. And uh, so she came to me, and she said, tell me what do I have to do to not get fired? So I said, just work. But uh, she's gone from being incredibly shy to being very self-assured, and I think that that's a result of, of and she's, she's the reason why I can be here, probably more than any other single person, because she uh, knows what she's doing very, very well. But I wanted to say here in terms of evangelism, and I know I don't have but a few more minutes left, but um, this girl is a Catholic background, and uh, she befriended my daughter. She attended GYC and uh, decided she'd keep the Sabbath. Now, since then, personal things came up in her life, so she, she uh, didn't continue with that commitment. But she did. Uh, we, we pay our employees, as I mentioned, to watch some of these um, food-related movies. And so she has really gotten into health. And um, yes, it's pretty widespread in our, among our employees. But, but uh, she came to Janice one morning with a box full of tomatoes. And she showed it to Janice, and Janice was like, yeah, that looks okay. And, and she kept holding it there. And then finally she said, Janice, I want you to take this. So Janice took it. She didn't really know what was going on. And then she said, that's how much weight I've lost in the last month. And um, it's been exciting to see what God does with the employees, not just people in the community. Um, this is a picture of them actually putting the farm boxes together. That's a, a, um, a rolling conveyor thing that uh, we stack the boxes on and put the stuff in. And this is the finished product, uh, stacks of boxes with our farm box logo and thing on the side, customers' names on the end. And it wouldn't be fair to, to um, not show a picture of other things that we grow that we don't sell. Well, we do sell. well I know. Yes, we do. We do actually sell quite a few marigolds and stuff just 
cut the, the uh, blossoms off. People like them for, for garnishing or for salads. And uh, a surprising number of that. Um, we grow veganically, which means we don't use any animal products. And all the nutrition is plant-based. And um, there's a lot of people that can ask what difference it makes. And uh, don't have time to cover that right now. But this is something that we saw on a, um, that um, I think describes it well. Veganic is everything good about organic and more. Um, these are the, the uh, fertilizer pellets, alfalfa, that we use to fertilize with. And in case you're wondering, that's a look at our tomato crop in the greenhouse. And I think that it shows that you can certainly get a, um, an excellent nutrition and there's the finished product as far as the tomatoes are concerned. Uh, here's another picture of the uh, beds we grow inside the greenhouse. These are beets here. Probably the only grower that I know of in North America that grows these kinds of crops inside a computer-controlled heated greenhouse. And I think that it's actually cost-effective to do that. Uh, another, another picture of the beds. And here's a, a slide of, of um, an assortment of some of our produce that we grow. Uh, everything we do is on less than three acres if we aren't growing in field crops like sweet potatoes, which we didn't do this year. And um, it's... It's uh, intensive farming, I believe, is a much more effective way for the kind of model that we're using. So they're not going to try to hold that out for every other farm. But um, when we're doing the uh, farm box program like what we're doing, and we do, we ship about 700 boxes a week, and we have about um, 3,000 customers, and they just order when they are ready to. I mentioned before uh, about evangelism. We, we've been, for the last two years, we've done a farm day. My wife and daughter, youngest daughter, came up with the idea of actually inviting our customers to come out and, and uh, see the farm. And I'm an optimist. I'm a real optimist. And my optimism put put about 10 people being willing to come out. So, so we, we had... Because it's so far. Right. We are an hour and a half from basically our co closest customers. Well, and I knew, I knew my wife was going to want to clarify that because we do have some customers that are closer, but the bulk of our customers are, are in Tucson and Phoenix. Tucson is an hour and a half, and Phoenix is between three and four hours, depending on where in Phoenix you are. And so I said, nobody's going to want to drive out to a farm for that. But we told them that we would give them a vegan vegetarian meal. We would give them a cooking class. We would give them a health lecture. And uh, we would let them get their hands dirty a little bit on the farm for a little bit. But, but uh, we really emphasize the health part. Now, that's what people do in church, right? You want to have a health seminar? You give them a, a meal and you give them health lectures, etc. Now, on top of that, we charged them to do it. We cut off registration at 200 people. 
I was, I was amazed that we could get 200 people to drive anywhere from an hour and a half to three and a half hours each way to get some health lecture from a Seventh-day Adventist. And, um, you know, and I could tell you a lot of stories about that, but I'm already past my time. So with that, I'll finish with this last slide. Evangelism isn't just the people in the community, it's also the people in your family. And uh, those are two of my granddaughters uh, eating some fresh corn on the cob. And uh, I think that that makes farming worthwhile. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for giving us the privilege of farming, of being connected with you. When we read the story about how you fed the 5,000, we think it's amazing that you could take a basket of bread and a couple fish and uh, feed 5,000 people. And when you think about it, that's what you are doing every day through these farms. Put a seed in the ground and out come watermelons and tomatoes and cucumbers. And you're giving us the privilege of working side by side with you and feeding the world's teeming multitudes. We ask that you'll bless us so that as we do that, we will have an opportunity to reflect you and draw people to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.